to repentance. See, I almost forgot to push that button. A call to repentance. That, that's really what brings revival other than the Holy Spirit of God moving in our hearts, enabling us to repent, convicting us that we might have a desire to repent, but it is repentance. And a lot of people say, well, you know, sin in others, this I see, but thank the Lord, there's none in me. I'm not so sure that I really need repentance or even that I really need revival. I'm fine just the way that I am. If that is your attitude, my friend, may I say that you need revival. You need repentance. There is sin in our hearts. And it is it is kind of, you know, I heard somebody say, take a napkin and, and daub that. You have a little little pride hanging out the corner of your mouth there. But certainly, we have to realize that our country is made up of people. We say our nation needs revival. Our nation needs repentance. Well, our nation is made up of individuals. And we are some of those individuals. Yeah, but it's that lost world out there. It's the world that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ that's living a habitual lifestyle of sin that needs to repent. And if they would repent get right with God, then we would experience revival. May I say that it's not only the lost people in the world that are sinners, but we as Christians are sinners as well. The Bible says uh, all saints are sinners. Not all sinners are saints, But all saints are sinners. And if we don't confess and repent of our sin... By the way, I put something out on Facebook a couple of of days ago uh, about sin in the world and sin in the church. And which one do you really think offends God the most? Do you think it's the lost world and their sin that offends God more than His children's sin? I don't. Uh, I believe that... Uh, that uh, we as God's children, when we sin against God, that is more offensive to Him than when the lost world is sinning. They're going to get their just desserts. One day they'll stand before God. They'll give an account of their lives. But if you have your Bibles open to Hosea chapter 6, and I finally do, we're going to look at the first three verses. And it reads like this. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn... And He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up, and He shall live, or we shall live in His sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on, to know the Lord. His goings forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come unto us, as the rain, as the latter and former rain under the earth. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You so much for Your love and Your mercy. Thank You for this opportunity that we have. We're looking forward to the the coming services of revival. God, we pray that true revival would break out in our hearts even this morning. God, I know that in the past few days I have been experiencing revival, a recommitment, a rededication, a resubmission of everything that I am to everything that You are. I have confessed and repented of my sin and I pray, O God, that You'll have mercy on me and help me, God, to be the man, the husband, the father, the grandparent, the pastor, the chaplain that You've called me to be. God, that you might live your life in and through me. I pray that same prayer, God, for every person under the sound of my voice. 
God, that you might touch hearts, illuminate minds, regenerate and save. But God, that you'll have your will in your way in your own people as our hearts desire. And we'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to look at uh, three different things uh, here this morning. Uh, The first one being the need for repentance. We already spoke a little bit about that. Uh, This is the prophet Hosea. And you know, you remember the book of Hosea, how God told Hosea the prophet to go out and marry a harlot, a prostitute. And Hosea was like, do what? Are are you sure? Lord, that's what? No, he he just obeyed the Lord. Isn't it good when God's people just obey whatever it is He says? And He went out and He found this prostitute, this this harlot, and her name was Gomer. Now, now, why God had to make him marry a prostitute, I understand. But why her name had to also be Gomer, that's just piling on. That was a, a little extra on him. But he, he found this lady and, and he asked her to be his wife and, and she married him. But every night she would commit adultery. She would sneak out. He'd, she'd wait until he'd fall asleep and she'd crawl out the window or slip out the door and she'd go to town and, and she would do what harlots do. And, and uh, God would wake uh, Hosea up and uh, she's gone. Go get her. No, Lord, I, I don't want her. I don't want to go get her. Go get her anyway. And he would go to town. He would find her. He would load her up and you know, the station wagon, and he would bring her back home. And night after night, week after week, month after month, the same thing would happen. And night after night, God would send him to town to to take her back, to bring her home, to love her in spite of who she was. You understand the picture that God was drawing, not not for Hosea, not even for the nation of Israel, certainly for the nation of Israel, because they were playing the harlot. They were the bride of Christ and they were cheating on God with the world, with sin. But it's also a beautiful picture of us as individuals, as us, as the bride of Christ, us as the church, that, that we go out and we play the harlot Uh, How do we play the harlot? By committing adultery or fornication with the things of the world. We put the flesh in our lives, the flesh in the world, ahead of our commitment and our dedication and our submission to the groom, Christ. Well, obviously there is room for repentance in all of our lives. But but until we feel the, the prick of sin, the guilt... Of our sin. Again, what I said a while ago, sin in others, this I see, but thank the Lord, there's none in me. But I think that we should all realize that we fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, the wage of sin. And if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. There are some people who have been saved and they say, ever since I've been saved, that's been a year ago or two years or five years or ten years ago. Ever since I've been saved, I've been sin free. Really? Really? Well, I would, like to, I would like to follow you around, but I don't have to because what you just said was a lie. You may not have known it was a lie. You may not have intended for it to be a lie. But certainly, all have sinned. And we, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. So it's not me calling you a liar, but the Word of God. But I say that certainly we realize that 
we are sinners. Verse 1, you look at that again. It says, come, let us return unto the Lord. Now he's speaking to the nation of Israel, certainly the nation of Judah, the people of God. But we are the people of God today, and we should return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, He hath, and He will heal us. He hath smitten. Do you realize that it is God? I don't know, what are you going through? Going through trials, tribulation, hard times, suffering? you got some things going on in your home, in your family, in your life that maybe you would like to see God turn around for you. Uh, don't know why they're taking place. Hard times, trials, tribulations, suffering. Well, the Bible says that those things come upon the children of God. The ch- if, if vengeance or uh, the anger or the wrath of God begin, it must begin, the Bible says, at the house of God. We need to repent before the world needs to repent because we are His children. And sometimes God puts that thumb, that pressure on us. He adds the weight. Some people, I call it the woodshed. God reaches through a keyhole and grabs us and drags us through a keyhole. And sometimes those keyholes are small and it drags all the meat off our bones on the other side of the door and it's uncomfortable. No, it's more. It hurts. It's painful when God does that to His children. He does it out of love for whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. God doesn't chasten the devil's children. He allows them to go on in their sin, living the way they live. He passes over them with grace and with chastisement, knowing that one day when they die, they're going to stand before God and give an account of their lives, but not so. Not so with His children. When we, as the bride of Christ, sin against the groom, when we sin against a holy God, God sends chastisement in our lives. You say, oh well, again, I'm not so sure that I personally am a sinner. I see sin in the world. Well, I did too. I, I did a little internet search for some information concerning this. Uh, the number one topic on the internet, do you know what it is? Pornography. The number one overall topic on the whole internet. Man, that's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. I mean tons and tons and tons of information, but pornography makes everything else on the internet pale in comparison. I did a study back in 1998. There were 14 million pornographic websites. You know how many there are today? Over a billion. Over a billion different pornographic websites And that's, you know, a lot of them come from right here in America. We are steeped, steeped in sin. Now there are almost a billion or a little over a billion. Homosexuality has become just an alternate lifestyle. Of course, we've known that for the past several years. It's not something that is new on the horizon. That is something that has been around for for a long time now. And they are accepted in our nation as equals. Well, some places allow people to get married that are homosexual. Others allow them to have, you know, uh, some type of union that is honored by the government and, and it stands. But listen, what does the Bible call homosexuality? Well, it calls it sin. You can read Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and it absolutely does not bite its tongue. And neither should we. We should not submit ourselves 
to the sinful lifestyles of Sodom and Gomorrah the way that Lot did when he was, was there and vexed his righteous soul with the evil deeds. The Bible says those are evil deeds of the people of that place from day to day. Well, not only homosexuality, but God forbid that I should mention abortion. Boy, I mean, you want to get, get the uh, dander on the cat stirred up. All you have to do is mention the word pro-life. Then you'll stir some people up and they will, they will hate you with a vitriol, with a vehemence that you cannot possibly imagine. But we commit abortion. And I say we because of course we vote people into office that allow those things and make those things to actually become law. You say, well, I've never voted for anybody that uh, was pro-abortion. Praise God. Me too. Would to God that more Christians could say that. But that's not true. The truth is, is that even Christians vote their pocketbook rather than their heart. They're more interested, I believe the man from New Orleans that was with Bill Clinton coined the phraseology, it's the economy, stupid. See, it's not about morality. It's all about economy. And it's not Almighty God. It's the Almighty Dollar that rules and reigns in America. If we think that America and we as Americans don't really need repentance, then tell me why there is the blood of 3,000 innocent children flowing through the streets every day. 3,000 a day abortions. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and yes, even Sunday. The numbers add up to 3,000 a day, seven days a week, well over a million abortions a year. It is a holocaust that our country is in the middle of. No wonder we have a drug culture in America. No wonder that there are so many people that are abusing alcohol and cocaine and heroin and barbiturates and everything, trying to numb trying to numb their heart, trying to numb their minds, trying to overlook and forget what it is that we're actually living in the middle of, that we are a part of. Now I say a part of, I, I'm not talking about, listen, I know we've got to pay our taxes. Even Peter came to the Lord and says, Lord, well, how, how do I pay my taxes? He says, go down, catch a fish, reach into its mouth, you'll find a coin. Pull the coin out. And uh, he pulled the coin out and showed it. He says, whose inscription is on the coin? He said, Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. That money that Caesar's inscription was on, by the way, we have George Washington's. We, we have all of these different presidents of the United States on our money. It's not in God we trust. It's in money we trust. But see, we've got to pay our taxes. That's, that's Caesar's. They say, well, they're going to use my money. It's my money. It's my money. And i got to give it to them. And they're going to take that. And they're going to fund abortions all around the world. Not only in America, but everywhere. And I feel dirty. I feel like I'm guilty for what they're using my money for. Do I really have to give it to them? Yes, you do. To be obedient to the Word of God and the law of God. God even told Peter to give unto Caesar. And Caesar was way worse than our president. Way worse. Give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? My friend, listen, just because we have to live in this world does not mean we have to be a part of the world. The Bible says to come out from amongst them and be separate 
saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be unto you a God, and you will be unto me a people. Is it is it sin? You know, I saw somebody put this on, on Facebook just the other day. Is it sin to skip church on a Sunday morning? You'd be surprised. And this is on a very conservative Christian website. It's not uh, on Facebook. It's not just out there on Facebook. It's in a private Christian web that actually is very fundamental uh, along the the same theological lines that I hold to. Most people in that website says, oh no, it's it's not a sin to skip church. That, that's, a, that's optional. You see, we are the church. That's one of the arguments that a guy said in there. It says, we are the church and wherever two or three are gathered together in the midst of them is Christ. So we are not really skipping church by not going to the building. We can have church in a boat with my buddy and pray to the Lord. And I told him what I thought of that. I told him, that's bull. My friend, listen, that out there in that boat is not the congregation of Lake St. John Baptist Church. You can't get everybody that is a part of this church in that boat. And when everybody's not here, then I'm telling you that the body is damaged. The body is crippled. We've got ears, arms, legs, eyes. That's what the Bible says. Are you, are you upset? Are you mad because you're an ear and not an eye? Are you upset because you're a foot and not a hand? Are you upset because you're a mouth and, and not a head? You see, all of us make up the body of Christ. And it goes on to say that when there are parts of the body missing, the body is crippled. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, as you see the day approaching. Where in there do you hear an option? Where in there do you even hear a request? Forsake not. That is a commandment. The assembling of yourselves together. When? When the assembly comes together. Every time the doors are open, God expects us to be here. To not be here is sin. If you still feel as though you have no need for repentance and revival, think again. Certainly, all of us have sin in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. We need this revival. We need it in our heart. We need it in our home. We need it in our lives. America is steeped in sin, but so is the church. And again, which one do you think offends God the most? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 mentions something like this. Thou hast left thy first love. Do you remember that verse? Speaking to the uh, church of Ephesus. And I have somewhat against thee. Uh, there's something that God has against the church. Not just an individual in the church, but the church in general. Because thou hast left thy first love. Return. Return. Now my friend, if you want to know not only the need for repentance, but the manner of this repentance, which is Roman numeral 2 in my outline here, the manner of repentance is to turn or to return to the Lord. Remember what it says in verse 1. Come, let us return unto the Lord. It doesn't say return unto the church. It doesn't say return unto prayer or unto Bible study. It says return to the Lord. What we have done, we've not just forsaken you know, a few services here and there because you know, well, I would rather be doing something else. 
God doesn't hold it against us when we are sick. God doesn't hold it against us when there are things going on in our lives that we cannot help. But my friend, what we're talking about is purposeful, intentional, unnecessary, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But this says not to return just to the church or to the Word of God or to prayer, but to return unto the Lord. The repentance that doesn't bring us back to the Lord is repentance that needs itself to be repented of. Repentance means the forsaking of our sin and to turning away from it, agreeing with God that it is sin, and turning back to the Lord in faithfulness. Surrender and commitment to the Lord. Well, the proof of the prodigal. You remember the prodigal son? He said, God, uh, Daddy, give me, give me what's mine. Give me what i got coming. I don't want to wait on you to die. That's going to be too long from now. I want what I, I want, and I want it now. Give it to me and let me go home and live my life and do what I want to do. Well, of course, the father gave it to him. And he went into a wayfaring country into a strange land. And he wasted all of his inheritance with riotous living. We waste our inheritance. We really do. We waste the blessings of God and the gift of God that God has so richly poured out on us. How do we waste it? Well, with, with the lifestyle of the rich and famous, the things that are going on in the world that we as children of God have been called to come out from amongst. But when he wasted his riot, uh, his living with riotous uh, living, his wealth, then he had to, what? He had to go find a, a living. And, and he joined himself together with a stranger in that land who put him to work feeding the hogs. Good Jewish boy ain't supposed to touch no hog. But he found himself in there with the hogs and he was so hungry that he looked at that hog slop and, and decided that, boy, that looks good. I need something to eat. And then it says this, God spoke to him. Has it ever dawned on you that when thoughts come to your mind that it is God moving in your heart and in your life? And he came to the realization that in my father's house there's more than enough. I don't have to be out here eating this hog slot. I don't have to be living this lifestyle. I don't have to be because I, I have a father. And he says, I know what I self. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to rise and I'm going to return and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, Father, I have no, no right to be called a son. But if you'll just call me a servant, I'll be glad to work for you the rest of my life. You see, he didn't just think about getting up and going. I remember John Bandy used to tell me, he says there were four, four turtles on a log. Three of them decided to fall off. How many of them were left? And I said, one. And he says, no. And I says, well, how many was it? He says, four. He says, three of them just decided to fall off. They never really got around to it. <laughs> My friend, we can decide that we need God back in our lives and that we need to be back in God's will and plan. But until we actually rise up, <coughs> And motivate towards God. Move. Work. I told Miss Dorothy Nell yesterday we were having a conversation on our front porch. And I'm not going to share the information that we were talking about, but the answer to the question or to the dilemma, I looked her in the eye and I said, you know, cows really don't give milk. And she looked at me kind of funny. 
And she was waiting. And I said, cows don't give milk. And she just kind of smiled and went, I said, you don't understand what I'm saying. So she thought about it. And she says, oh, I get it. You got to take it. They don't give it. You got to take it. And I says, well, you got to work for it. You've got to lead the cow in the pen and you've got to get the stool and the bucket and you've got to tie the tail around to keep it from hitting your face and you've got to sit down and put the bucket down and you've got to go to work or you're not going to get no milk. Cows don't give milk. My friend, preachers don't bring revival. People got to want revival. And I found out that the only people who want revival are the people who really realize they don't just want it, they need it. They want it because they need it. They feel the weight. They feel the burden. They feel the emptiness. They feel the separation between them and God. The Father's arms for that prodigal were open wide when he saw him coming down the road. Boy, he ran to meet him. Kissed him on the neck. Put a, put a robe around him. Put some shoes on his feet. Amen. I remember Jim Thomas saying, all God's children got shoes. And that's good. That's good. But it's only when we return and come home that those blessings are added to our lives. So, You see the need of repentance. You see the manner or the method of that repentance. We've got to return, but we've got to return to the right thing. And the right thing is a person. And His name is Jesus Christ. We've got to go back where we left Him. And He'll be sitting there waiting on us to come back. But then we see the results of that repentance. You look again at verse 1 and it says, Come. Let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, ah, but He will heal. He hath torn, but He will heal. He hath smitten, but He will bind us up again. He will heal and He will bind us up. Do you realize our depraved, diseased, sin-sick hearts are broken and torn, uh, our broken dreams. We, we all have dreams. I know some of them are godly, some of them maybe not so much. But when we, re- when, we, when we sin against God and God breaks and tears, then what He's breaking and tearing is the things in our heart that bring us to repentance and remorse. And a lot of the times is those things that we have desired so much in this world. Remember, I think I put this out there one time too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what do you get? All of these things will be added unto you. But I'll guarantee you, if we as the children of God are seeking the things of the flesh and the things of the world more than we're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He will break us and crush us and tear us by taking those things away from us. The desires of our heart are dependent on God. God doesn't give them to us because we desire them. God gives them to us because we trust Him for them and live our lives for His glory 
and His honor. The result of such repentance is that there will be a healing and a binding up. Also, that there will be a quickening. You look at verse 2, and it says this, After two days will He revive us. After two days will He revive us. Now, that revive means to quicken or to bring back to life. I know that lost people are spiritually dead. And there is a regeneration. There is a waking up, a quickening to the lost world when they by faith come to Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. But do you understand to be backslidden is so very much like being lost? Because we indeed are separated from God. Because of our sin. And what is death other than separation? Physical death is when the person living on the inside is separated from the person living on the outside. And that physical separation of the spirit from the physical body is called death. And the body hits the ground and the spirit goes on to be wherever it goes. But spiritual death is when we are separated from God. By our sin. That's what lost people live a habitual sinful lifestyle in death, in separation from God. But by grace through faith, they are brought back into uh, reunion with God. And that's called regeneration. And then by grace through faith, through regeneration, we are saved. But even when we're saved, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. There's got to be a revival when there is a separation in the Christian's life. We're not spiritually dead. We're, we're not separated from God in the sense that we're lost. But my friend, we are separated from God in the sense that we cannot be the people that God has created us to be until we confess and turn from our sin. The first sin that God hears from a lost people. Re- remember this verse. Remember, remember the verse that, that says... That uh, sin always brings separation from God, but confession and repentance brings reconciliation to God. Uh, For we know that God heareth not the prayer of sinners. Do you remember that verse? Well, we'll hide it. Hide it in, in the corner of your mind. Never let that go. For we know that God heareth not the prayer of sinners. You say, oh, well, he's, he's talking about lost people. God, God doesn't hear the prayer of lost sinners that are lost, living a habitual... No, I'm not. I'm talking about sinners. Lost people, yes. But saved sinners who do not confess and repent and turn from their sin, the very first sin God hears from them is the same as the very first sin God hears from a lost person. God, I have unconfessed sin in my life. Forgive me. Forgive me. I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I surrender my heart and my life afresh. Oh, I know I'm not coming to you for salvation again. But I'm coming to you, God, that I might be restored in the fellowship that has been lost because of my sin. And that lost fellowship has caused a type of death between you and me. And God, I can't stand living in the graveyard. I am alive by grace through faith, and yet I'm separated from the God that I love because of my sin. And my confession and repentance of sin is the only thing that's going to bring that reconciliation and restoration back in my life. You look again also at two, and it's not only the result of that repentance brings healing and binding, but quickening and then also 
living in the light. You look again at verse 2. It says, after two days He'll revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. And in His sight, my friend, is talking about that light of the Lord. Do you know that the Bible talks about the, the eyes of God are like a flaming fire? And His judgment and His wrath is like brass. Um, I, I, won't, I don't want to live in the wrath of God. I want to live in the light of God. I'm going to be in His sight. He's going to be seeing. Do you know that God sees everything you do? Sometimes we live like we don't believe that. Or we don't accept it. Or we forget it. My friend, God sees everything that we think, much less everything that we do. Physically, outwardly, everything that we do, surely God sees from heaven. He doesn't have to come down the way that He did at the Tower of Babel to see what the people were doing. He knew already what they were doing. He knew the reason that they were doing it in their heart. He knew the thoughts of their mind that spawned the idea to make a name for themselves. Well, I can be who I want to be. I can live like I want to live. My friend, I'll guarantee you this. We'd better live and walk and talk in the light of God's Word. You look again at verse 3. And we not only live in the light of God's Word, but there is a growing experience when we're in that light. It's almost like, uh, have you seen those, those greenhouse lights that they put over plants that replaces the sun that makes them stretch up towards that light? Boy, I'll tell you what, would to God the more Christians would stretch towards the light. I mean, just stretch. Grow their hearts. Grow their mind. Grow their faith. Grow their commitment. Grow their faithfulness. And that they would stretch towards heaven with every ounce, every inch, every fiber of their being. But you look at verse 3. And you see this growing experience. It says, Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, we shall know His going forth is prepared as the morning. And He shall come unto us as the rain, and as the latter and former rain, unto the earth. My friend, we are going to be reaching forward, or we are going to be sliding backwards. We are going to be stretching and reaching towards God or we are going to be reaching towards the things of the flesh. And when we do that, we automatically start backsliding. Some people think that on the mountain climb to God, there are peaks and pinnacles that you can reach and rest. And I'm telling you, there is no such creature. There is no place on the mountain climb of Christianity that you can stop and rest. You are either clawing your way forward or you are sliding your way back. And my friend, the moment that we stop to catch a breath, the moment that we stop, boy, me saying that word, catch a breath. First love. Lost your first love. You ever done that? I have. I remember when I surrendered my life to Christ. Me and Bob, we used to run together pretty heavy. And uh, son, there was not a minute in the day that we weren't praying or studying or reading or preaching or teaching or testifying or sharing with somebody. And the more I learned, the more I couldn't, couldn't wait to learn something new. I was drinking that like a tall glass of cold water. 
and I couldn't put it down and I couldn't. And then, I mean, the presence of God in your life gets so thick. It's almost like you dove in the deep end of a pool and you thought it was 10 feet, but you hit 10 feet and you find out that you're going towards 15 and then 20 and then 30. And then all of a sudden, the presence of the water gets so heavy and so thick that you feel like you're about to pop and you look up and you wonder if you're going to make it back to the top. And you push off and you go and you're swimming as hard as you can till you get to the top and you, you catch a breath when you reach the top of the water and immediately you regret that. Because to go back that deep again, to feel that Shekinah glory of God, to feel the presence, the thickness of the Holy Spirit, the way that you did when you first dove as deep as you could stand in the flesh. Boy, I'll tell you, the old flesh, it doesn't stand it very well, the presence of God. But after you get to the top and you confess, I'm sorry I ever came up, God. Forgive me. I want to go back where you can but it takes twice as much effort to go that deep again. If you ever reach that deep and you come up again and you want to go back, it gets harder every time. Every time. My friend, never, never run from the presence of God. Never feel like you can't breathe, so therefore I've got to take a break, a sabbatical. I'm going to go you know, on a vacation and skip my Bible study in church for just a little while and then I'll come back. And See, preachers do that all the time. They, they are one of the most guilty of feeling like, well, you, you know, I, I'm just burnt out. I've been doing this for 30 years now or 20 years now. I've been preaching the Gospel to so many people and I've seen so many fall and stumble and fail and I'm just, you know, I'm battled and, and wearied and I need a break. No, you don't. Shut up. Shut up and go back to work. Live your life for God. Never go back. Never. Never surrender. One more thing. That last part of verse 3. There will be times of refreshing. The former and the latter rain. You see, you don't need a sabbatical. You don't need a break. You need a recommitment and a rededication, a confession of sin that I as a pastor or you as a Christian have surrendered some of the first love that we had and we're wandering out in the wilderness and we're dry and we're in the desert and we need a fresh drink of water. Water of the Word of God, confession and repentance, submission of our lives to the Lordship of Christ afresh, new. God will give you that refreshing that a sabbatical will never give you. There's no time off that you can take that will refresh you more than a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. We ask, O oh God, that You'll forgive us for our sin, sin revival. 
Help us, God, to be renewed, refreshed. Send the former and the latter rain. God, send the Holy Spirit that might burden and cut us so deep. God, that we would bleed from the heart. God, the remorse that we have over our sin. God, we'll give you and you alone the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask you to stand and...